Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. All right. This week, we get to hear from Robert LaRoche, who is the lead singer of an excellent rock power pop band from the Northeast called The Size. So The Size put out their debut album in 1992 called What Goes On, and it's killer. It's produced by Ed Stasium, legend, right? Guy behind the Ramones and Living Color and the Smithereens. And the label puts all this pub and money behind producing this excellent album. And then it comes out and they don't really do much with it. It gets a little bit of traction thanks to this song right here, Think About Soul. But that was basically it. And you'll find out it, these guys check all the boxes in the shoulda, woulda, coulda, but didn't checklist. The label starts to fall apart. It gets sold. They don't put the push behind the album that they say they're going to, even though they've spent so much money on it. And of course, Robert and the size get kind of lost in the shuffle. It's their only major label album. They put out another album about four years later called Different. Also very good, but it's indie and it's less successful, obviously. And that's pretty much it for the size. Until this week. They just put out a third album called Wait on Another Day that is excellent. And it's a collection of the songs that they were working on back in the day that would have made a third album had it been able to come out. So good. I highly recommend you checking this out. Now, Robert primarily makes a living today as a sideman for a recording artist named Patricia Vaughn. He did put out a solo album a couple years ago called Patient Man that's really good. Check that one out too. But this is just, this is one of those basic stories, and I mean no disrespect to Robert at all, but it's one of those stories about the, the coulda, shoulda, but didn't story of a talented artist who had everything, the looks and the chops and the talent and the band, and it just didn't happen because of label politics, as it so often does. This is also a listener request. Steve Poshman requested these guys, and and his name has come up before. Just so you know, I'm not in the habit. I don't often double dip on listener requests, especially when I have so many that I haven't even gotten to yet. But here's the deal. A year or two ago, Stephen Poshman recommended The Size and or Richard Bush of The A's, and I reached out to both, and Richard just happened to get back to me, and The Size couldn't do it. But they could now, and there's a story behind that that I tell at the beginning of the interview that is nuts. It blew my mind. So that's why Steven got two chances when some of you have not even gotten one yet, and I apologize for that. Okay? Uh, anyway, Robert tells some great stories. He's such a good guy. He gets it. I like talking to him a lot. He called me from his home in Austin. Before we get into the story of Robert LaRoche, I wanted to introduce you to one of our listeners. His name's Mike Wagner. And this is not the, uh, you know, the world-famous record producer, Michael Wagner, but this is a listener of ours who also happens to be a musician. Say hi, Mike. Hello. Uh, Mike approached me recently. Mike is a, uh, is a resident of Houston. And as everyone knows, with all of these hurricanes going on, this week it's Irma, before it was Harvey. Uh, he came to me with an idea about a way to sort of support, um, lend some support and relief to people in Houston at this time. Tell us about what your idea is, Mike. Um, basically, is like a lot of us um, use um, Spotify and music services to listen to music and find new music. I mean, I know I constantly listen to my Discover Weekly and my Release Radar and all those sorts of things. And basically, um, I put together a playlist of Houston bands 
that people can sort of sample through and find stuff that they might enjoy. And basically it's just to let hopefully someone can find some music they like and, you know, uh, enjoy that music and maybe send them a note saying, Hey, we're out here. You know, we hope you guys are doing good, you know, cause in times like this, there's the financial aspect to things, but you know, like having somebody appreciate your music at this time really lifts your soul, you know, then that's kind Absolutely. of the idea. Absolutely. How are people going to be able to access this playlist? What's the easiest way for them to find it and start streaming? Um, probably the easiest way is um, I'm, I've got all the information on, on, on my band's page. Um, it's um, The name of my band is Total Strangers. Um, the name of the album is Lost in the Crowd. And if you if you Google that, it'll probably you should be able to find it on Facebook fairly easily. And then you can go to our page and you'll see um, if you kind of scroll through there, I have um, links for the playlist, um, and I also have included a couple of videos that might be of interest to people. Um, when we did our album a couple of years ago, uh, one of the videos I made for one of the songs called Unclaimed was shot. Uh, I shot. I just happened to shoot most of it in the reservoir that we live near that that flooded over, and is it is actually the source of problems that exist two weeks after the storm. There's literally roads closed <laughs> that you uh, can't drive through it's it, two weeks after the storm it's 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 that bad and so um then they can find the link to the playlist in there and to our band okay. stuff and that sort of thing great and i will put a link to the spotify playlist in the show notes of this episode and uh share the link with um probably your band's page on our facebook page as well i just want to clarify to everybody of course mike is in a Mike, along with many other people in Houston, are in a very just devastating situation. And being a musician, this is Mike's way of sort of finding a way to help and uh, offer some relief. And so if we can sort of support Houston musicians by listening to them on Spotify, the revenue or, or attention or whatever that would come from supporting those artists would then go back into, the, uh, into hurricane relief on a local level. That's what the thinking is here, correct? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it, that that's that is the idea. Yes, absolutely. Okay. We we wouldn't try to. It, it sort of directs it as 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 focused as possible, right? Sure. And and the other thing is uh, is that um, I know folks have, are looking for um, places they can make charitable donations. Um, um, I would recommend for those uh, people outside of of Houston. Um, my daughters have done work at the Houston Food Bank, and if you you can uh, you can Google them and find them, and they do really good work. My daughter, like I said, my daughter has done some work there the last couple of years. So, if if you want to make a financial donation, um, that that's a good place to do it. Um, you know, we're not looking for you guys to buy our stuff. Um, the idea is to sort of support the music, and um, but you know, um, if you if you do want to make a financial donation, it's best made straight to the charitable organization. Sure. I um maybe you guys everyone listening can relate to this. I've been seeing a lot on Facebook people posting what's the best charity organization for me to donate to for Houston Relief. And um so it, I mean I think we're all wanting to make sure that our money goes to the to the to the source and not Correct. going, you know what I mean? It's we want the most bang for our buck and uh um, so I thought it would be also helpful to learn from firsthand from someone who's there what he believed a good charitable organization would be. I should close this out by just how are you, Mike? How are things um, for you personally in Houston and maybe some of your friends? Are things calming down? Um, the the city slowly recovers. 
Um, you know, there's, you know, like I said, there's still flooding around. Um, my neighborhood was hit um, particularly hard. Um, we got very lucky. The water came within six feet of our house, which was quite, and we didn't know for several days because we couldn't get back into our neighborhood because it was, the water was blocking, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't get back. Yeah. And, but, um, you know, I can, I can start walking from my house and in five, in less than five minutes, I hit where the first house where the water started. And, um, I can literally walk for a mile and pass roughly 200 homes that flooded out. Um, and, um, my wife and I were talking today, we know at least 50 people who are not in their homes right now. And it's, it's really tough. Um, still so many displaced people. Yeah. There was, I've read that there was 40,000 homes destroyed. Um, I, let's, let's just say there's 40,000 homes flooded. That's still a hundred thousand people that are displaced. And, and with that many places, um, flooded out, like the line to get, you know, somebody to fix your home or something's going to be, you know, extra long. And it's, yeah. It's going to be, and it's going to be a long row for a lot of folks. But sure. um, you know, the good thing is that you see a lot of people helping out, and that that's good. that's really. I know it's I know it's cliche, but it's it's true. <laughs> so good. that's a good thing. So yeah, well, good. Well, thanks, Mike. I wanted to, you know, you had mentioned to me this idea, and since this is a music podcast, and hopefully we're talking to a lot of music lovers, I thought this was something very simple. Um, and potentially enjoyable that all of us could do. Yeah. You know, some art, some Houston artists, support them, stream them, and let whatever comes from that go toward relief for people affected in the area. That's perfect. Yes, that's the idea. And and thank you so much for having me on, John. I, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Of course. Absolutely. Okay, good. Then that's, uh, then that's it. I feel good about that. Do you? Yeah, that was great. Thank you so much. Okay, perfect. Okay, good. So I got to tell you how interesting this is that this is happening and that it's happening right now. So the listener who requested you like a year and a half ago is a guy named Steve Poshman. And he's a he hosts a radio program in Bedford, New Hampshire. And he's I always throw it out yeah, I always throw it out to my listeners that if they have a band that they love that they haven't heard from for a while, let me know and I'll see if I can get them on the show. And he requested you guys and a Philly band from the late seventies called the the A's. I don't know if you even remember who they were. Anyway, great band. He had he and his co-host Drew had invited me to be a guest on their radio program, and we were tasked with each of us bringing a song and playing a song from the seventies, eighties, nineties, and two thousands that we think should have been a hit. And Steve is a big fan of yours, and so his pack, his picks for the nineties. Was you, was you. Think about soul. Okay. Think about soul, right. Right. So that morning, I'm listening to everyone's picks, and I'm kind of deciding what I'm going to say about them and all this kind of stuff. And um, I'm listening to that one, and I'm thinking, man, it's really too bad that nothing ever came with the, of the size. I had reached out to you guys like a year and a half ago, and I don't know who man's Facebook. Maybe it's you. I don't know. But whoever no, it was, was like, okay. <laughs> well, whoever did it was – said, you know, we do that, but we're working on a new album, and maybe we'll let you know when that's ready to come out. And I hear that from people sometimes, and then I never hear from them again. And so, yeah, sure. uh, you know what I mean? So I'm listening to you I guys, do. and I'm thinking, this is great. I, it's too bad nothing came of that. Cut to maybe two hours later, 
I get a message on Facebook. Hey, John, sorry it's been so long. We're getting ready to put out the new album. Are you still interested in talking with the size? I'm like, are you are you kidding? I was just thinking about you guys. Yes, I'd like to talk to the size. So anyway, Funny. I think the rock gods are smiling on us. I guess um, so. They gotta be. Yeah. Oh, before, I got I gotta ask. Are you Bobby or Robert? Well, you know my name my name is Robert. Right. And uh, you know, folks that know me for a while, like my even my own family, everyone calls me Bobby. Um, you know, so at some point. As the years went by, I and I think after the size, when I started work, my next project, which was as a side name, which I'm, I'm still doing to this day, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then I started using Robert. You know, as it, it isn't okay. actually my name, but I'm comfortable with, with either. If I had a preference, I prefer Robert. Okay. okay. I'm going to be 54 next month. <laughs> Robert, sounds <laughs> little, Robert sounds a little a little better than Bobby. A little more mature. But I, but yeah. I guess that's right. Okay. Okay. Cool. Well, good. So let's. Uh, I don't. I don't always go back to the very beginning because you know the, that kind of origin story is pretty easy to dig up on you know Wikipedia or people's bios. But I do know that you guys were primarily sort of a. You guys have been around since the '80s as like a uh, sort of a straightforward power pop new wave band. But then right. it, it wasn't until the early '90s that things that you got guys finally got signed major label all that kind of stuff. During the 80s, when you've got the sound that you're cultivating at that time, are you just like, I mean, I'm guessing you're play, you're working regular jobs, you're playing gigs whenever you can, you're dreaming of being a rock star or a musician, a professional musician at some point. Um, right. Is it a struggle? I mean, what's, what's keeping you motivated during those early kind of hungry days? That, that wasn't a struggle because it was fun. Oh, good. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the playing was fun. We actually got a lot of gigs. Um, um, I think we started, I think the first ones were like in 81. We started playing clubs in 82. And we were quite sort of young. I was, uh, I don't, I think I was 19, maybe 18, Man. uh, 18 or 19. And, and that, when I was the oldest in the band. So the, <laughs> the, wow. drummer, the drummer, who's now, you know, the bass player, is Tommy Pluta. And mm-hmm. uh, he, a little known fact, is he, he started out playing drums. He was a damn good drummer. I think he was 15 years old, so he'd play gigs oh, and, you know, get a belly full of beer, and then he'd have to go to high school <laughs> with a hangover the next day, you know? Right. Funny. But, yeah, yeah we, were all, we were all working, you know, working part-time, and I'm sure we were all living at home still. And it was absolutely fun. You know, we weren't that focused at that point on original material. We had some original songs, but we were playing, like, sped-up versions of, you know, Dion and the Belmonts and mm-hmm. late 50s and early 60s mm-hmm. songs. And, uh, of course, as time went by a little bit, and we started getting, more, you know, writing more and more. You know that's the, but but it, but it primarily started as a you know a fun sort of party band when people knew the songs. It certainly wasn't a top forty band because we we uh, we kind of focused on on you know Buddy Holly and yeah. you know late fifties and, and and of course incorporated some other stuff. But we liked the Who and Ramones cool. and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, you know. And yeah. uh, but that didn't last that long. 
you know, that, that probably lasted for a year and a half, maybe two years. And eventually it was sort of half and half, you know, half originals, half covers. And then, okay. of course, as the years went by, I mean, it was 10 years playing, you know, clubs wow. and colleges before we got signed with uh, with the Virgin subsidiary, Charisma. Mm-hmm. It was a long time, it was a lot of years playing. We played a lot. Was the goal the whole time, like, rock and roll or die? I mean, are you just thinking, Definitely. it's got to break. Absolutely. One of these days, it's going to happen. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That was, we were, okay. we were true believers. We're, <laughs> and still are. I still Yeah, oh, I'm sure. Believers. Yeah, absolutely. Was there ever a backup plan? I mean, was it, did you guys go off to college and think, uh, you know, we'll we'll try and keep it together, or was it just one of the focus? Okay, there was not a backup plan, you know, and we took it as far as we as we could, you know, and uh, even as, even even when the label uh, went, uh, you know, became kaput, defunct, uh, and that's charisma I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, then we we still continued on, and then we did a. We did a, a one-off with a, with a good independent label in New York City. Uh, what do they call it? Big Deal. Big Deal yep. Records. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dean was the guy. Big Deal. Good guy, too. And uh, another true believer. You have to be if you're putting out <laughs> putting out uh, artist records. You know, and imagine sure. now. It's even harder. But this, was, oh, this yeah. would have been 22 years, 20 years ago. 21 years ago, I think that record came out in 96. I'd have to go look at that. But I think it's... Yeah. I think it was '96. So you, I mean, so I mean, I w- talk to me about the transition then, because as this independent band, which by the way, you're putting out great songs like "She's Not the Girl I Used to Know," and I want right. to, as a side note, I want to make sure I mention some of these because we're going to play little snippets of them. So for the people who listen that aren't familiar with your work, this contextualizes why you were a great band because they're going to hear a little bit of the songs here. So, Did you actually get a hold of a copy of She's Not the Girl? I don't even have a copy. Of I do, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Buddy Steve, yeah, who, uh, who requested you, sent me a ton of your older, uh, more obscure stuff that I didn't have. So yeah, yeah, that was the first release on Relief Records. It was a little. We thought we were very clever. 
sigh of relief. It was on relief records. Oh, I get it. Out, that came out in 82, believe it or not. I think like in the late summer, early fall of 82. And I, you know, I remember doing mailings, and, you know, to, to all these distributors. And, you know, I had help, of course. You know, I had people yeah. who were people in the, in the music scene around Holyoke and Northampton. This was a Western Mass thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the Boston thing, you know, and Boston was yeah. only a hundred miles to the to the east and um but this was kind of a regional thing, you know. And yeah. And, yeah, funny. I haven't cool. I, I don't have a copy of that. I haven't heard it in a long time. <laughs> he was telling me that he um first saw you guys or became aware at an all ages show in downtown Springfield, Mass at a place called oh, the Zone. Funny. The Zone I remember. Days. Yeah, I remember, I remember the zone. It was yeah. above the it was above the Mardi Gras strip club, which is still there. <laughs> it was of course, you remember that, rough. right? Yeah, a little bit. Old I was probably too, I was probably too young to get in, yeah. even then. <laughs> probably. But, uh, <laughs> oh, that's great. So, I mean, yeah. okay, so then it's '82 when you know something like that song comes out, but it's not. It's '92 by the time. Your first actual album comes out, and that's right, and that song was not included on it. No, that was that not was, no, to, <laughs> no, not to mention. I mean, your sound is very '90s to me. It sounds like mm-hmm. the alternative. You know, in those early when as soon as Nirvana broke, every you know this every album every label went out and tried to snatch up as many indie bands as they could. You know what I'm saying? I think that's true. Yeah, right. And so you guys sound like a power pop version of sort of those 90s indie bands. But that's not what the early 80s sounded like. So are you, right, is your sound right. morphing over that decade? Is your, are you moving from, you know, those early, like you were saying, Buddy Holly or whatever type stuff, into grungy right. things? Or are you being pushed that way by a, by a label? I, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't say, I wouldn't say grungy. I mean, if you, if you listen to the, the Charisma release, that's pretty straight ahead pop rock and roll. True. Uh, True. I don't really hear any grunge stuff on that. The second record, it's called Different. That was the one that was on Big Deal. Had I, I, I would say that had a, a more of a, a, a palpable uh, influence from from uh, you know from that period from the you know post yeah. let's say post Nirvana period. That record came out. That, I mean, that, that uh, you know, that sort of decimated the. And it was a great record. I love the record. Sure was. Well, yeah, um, both of them are good. Fanta- 
fantastic. I'm talking about never mind. On the bottom oh, sure, mind. sure, sure. Oh, sure. Yeah, you know, I would never say. I know I would never say that about my own. Our own well, I, I think that you'd be proud of your work. It's great stuff. Oh, I am. I am. But I would never. I would never. Okay. You know, I would let the listener decide that. But I was talking okay. about never mind. Okay. That kind of decimated. The, 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 you know the plimsolls, the yeah. power pop, raspberries influence yeah. stuff that we were into. That kind of got pushed aside. Yeah, uh, as you know, mm-hmm. plimsolls. That that's one of the results of that whole, whole thing. Sure was. So how did you guys finally get signed? And then I mean, again, going back to the kid who's you know not going to college and he's just right. laser focused on becoming a, a rock star. When the day finally happens. How do you celebrate? Right. Well, uh, you know, we were partying a lot in those days. Uh, okay. And so I can't get <laughs> I can't give you too much information. Got it. Only okay. to say that we we were uh, excessive in our celebrating. Got I it. guess would be it would be that would be the uh, most diplomatic way. Okay. To put it, you know, we, we <laughs> I were, love that we were, answer. That's a great answer, <laughs> good, by the way. Good, good because honest. I can't get specific. I'm 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 sober now for quite some years, and uh, and you know, I don't regret the past, but uh, sure, I don't need to, I don't need to, to yeah. relive it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, man. We had we had a lot of fun. You know what? Good. We had a lot of fun. We were young, good. and we had a, a hell of a lot of fun, and and, uh, and I really don't regret it. Was it one of those things? Did they come? Did you go and sign a big contract and? Did they throw a bucket a of money big... at you and all that? Well, yeah, I, I would say really? I would say yes to that. I mean, that was still happening in the early nineties. Sure, it was, uh, it was before online, uh, you know, sales and and, and uh, yeah. I mean, it was. Okay. You know, we we started we started. You know, New York City wasn't that far from from where we lived. It was a three hour drive, and um, so we started playing at a place called the China Club. Mm. In New York City, which was at that time, there was it was a it was a string of them in I think L.A. and I don't know Chicago and New York and a couple of other big towns. And um, it was it was a it was on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. It was on Seventy mm-hmm. Fifth and Broadway. It was actually located in the, in the basement of the Beacon Theater, which is still there. Oh, right? sure, yeah. And it was in the basement. It was one of those velvet rope clubs. And what they would do is they would have live music sort of sort of until, I don't know, like let's say 9 to 11 or 9 to midnight, and they'd have a featured act. It's hard to get in there. And then after that, it was people dancing. It was like a dance club. And it was a really quite an eclectic mix of people because – it was not uh it was not a CBGB like hardcore just you know Lower East Side you know torn up jeans and commerce mm-hmm. music fans it was mm-hmm. a lot of music fans it was also a lot of models it was a lot of live mm-hmm. guys it was a real mix a lot of celebrities it was a celebrity hang uh you know the, the Stones would come over Rod Stewart or whoever it was Hulk oh, Hogan right. I think we got tipsy with Hulk Hogan. Well, I remember hanging off Hulk Hogan's, maybe it wasn't me, it might have been one of our band members, being completely, in the, you know, let's say, completely maybe is a strong word, but let's say, uh, as my dad would say, half the shoes on, a little bit intoxicated, hanging on Hulk Hogan's off of his biceps. 
Oh, no way. Fan. Yeah, the whole so little buzz tonight, little brother. You know, just crazy <laughs> stories. We had a, a lot of stories like that during that Great. time period. But, but we started playing this place, the China Club, uh, and we started getting popular. And we'll really turn it around and really put it on the, on the, on the I guess fast track's not the right phrase because it took 10 years to get to that point. But once we got into New York and started playing in New York, and particularly at this club, we are playing couple of other places too but uh that's when things took the took then what was a fast track because we met right. tommy allen and tommy allen uh booked the club booked the venue mm-hmm. and then his uh musical partner and friend the guy he played in the band with john de nicola they were good buddies and so when they saw the band and then they kept asking us back and you know, more people would come and more people and by the end, it was we're we're packing the place, and uh, and of course that's when record companies started coming around, and it wasn't sure. random. Uh, they, they these two, these two, and we're still working with John to this day, and Tommy Allen's is still a good friend. That's amazing, yeah. good. It is pretty amazing, and so they got they got the right attorneys, and the right attorneys got the labels, and I remember being was that CBGB actually on the Lower East Side, huh. Bowery. And at CBGB, we had done a really a, we had a good set. CBGB was a great venue because it um, it sounded good. Oh, it was dirty as sin. God. It was a filthy place, and the dog shit all over the floor. And Hilly, I remember Hilly's dog. You know, you had to really watch out for the uh-huh. not the cow patties, but the dog do. You know, and uh, <laughs> it was a real dump. You know, yeah, uh, but yeah. but it it had a good sight lines. It sounded really good. It had a good sound system, a good stage. And it was at CBGB that the president of Virgin Records, he was, he was in fact the president of Virgin Records. His name was Phil, is uh, Phil Cordero, good guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. and that was the night. And we had several labels come out and see the band, and, and that was wow. the night he was kind of just solidified the deal and said, like, hey, welcome aboard, guys. We hadn't actually signed the contract, but... We, I, I guess, I guess uh, we were leaning toward going with Virgin, and that—that that is what we, we did. We, there was, there was other offers too on on the, uh, you know, that we had to had to um, think about, and uh, okay. we, in the end, we um, in the end we we went with uh, Phil Cordero and Virgin. Amazing. I've, that, that's a killer story, and I have a lot of questions about it. But I want to establish for anyone who's listening, John D. Nicola is an Oscar winner, correct? He is. That's correct. Yeah, he produced I've Got the Time of My Life, or I've Had the Time of My Life from Dirty Dancing. So well, here's he an Oscar it. winner. He's, he's oh, one he of the writers. It. I thought he produced yeah, it. He's, oh, even better. He's, he's one of the, yeah, he's, John, he is, uh, Johnny Nicola was, he was commissioned to write with with some other uh, songwriters uh, for a movie called Dirty Dancing, which at the time that they were commissioned, as far as I know, they no one had, you know, high expectations for this for the movie i think it was you know by hollywood's by by la standards it was i think you know there was a lower budget type of type of thing and yeah. but it was exploded it was a huge hit and of course john co-wrote i've had the time of my life and he, another song hungry eyes which yeah. talking about the raspberries earlier eric carmen mm-hmm. had a yeah. top 10 hit with that so that's that's johnny nicola he's, and he's had a, other other success with songwriting over the years in, in, yeah. in the Nashville scene, but I, you know, those are for sure, those were his two 
you know, most yeah. uh, most high profile songs. That, well, and they w- would have happened within you know four or five years of of you guys getting signed too. That's why I wanted to establish that's exactly that right. People who yeah. are who are taking an interest, a vested interest in your success, are that's who we're that's the kind of people we're talking about here. So, that's exactly right. So I want to know. So when you're playing in New York, are you living in New York? At the time as well? No, we were we were not. We were living in um, uh, Western Massachusetts. Okay. We were living. In, I was living in Northampton, Massachusetts, which is a little college town. Um, Smith College, is a, uh-huh. a very good women's college, a women's school, college for women, and uh, I think it's the number one in the in the country. Or Mount Holyoke College is okay. also. Right, right across the river, and that's all in the same area, Holyoke, Massachusetts, which is my Tommy Pluta's hometown. Got it. And so we all lived like one or two towns, uh, okay. you know, from each other. But but at that point, we had a band house. You know, we had a house where oh, where I big lived. Pink. Very much so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was very much like that because okay. uh, we we wrote there, we recorded there, we had a nice little studio set up in the, in the uh, you know, for demos, mm-hmm. good, pretty good quality demos. Funny, we were going to, we're thinking about releasing that as, as uh, a CD, as the CD that you, you have. Really? And, but in the end, yeah, originally when, it was like two years ago when, when, when the guitar player, our friend, Matt Cullen, and guitarist, you know, he, he, that wasn't planned, you know, he was moving his studio uh, into his basement. And um, you know, just setting up his studio, and he he found a box of tapes, and oh. uh, they were, that's what they were. And then when he he remixed them and started sending them up, said, oh, how many songs are there? It's like there's like twenty songs. And then we we said let's release this as a, like a base, and we we'll call it basement tapes because they were sure. recorded in the basement. And then when John D. Nicola heard them, of course he was in the loop. We're still all friends, and that 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 has a lot to do with why things are you know where they are now with a new release uh-huh. and and doing a cd release show and i think we're doing a couple of shows in november obviously we're not touring right now we're all you know i live in austin texas the guitar right. player matt who i was just talking about who jump started this thing lives in ames iowa and the two oh. tommies tom tom borowski and tom Pluter, so or you know we're back in western mass so that's kind of how it got started. He, he, it is, and, and but but yeah. the bottom line is we were always friends during the years. You know, we we, if we didn't talk for six, seven, eight months or a year at a time. Sure, we were still friends. And when I went home to visit my my parents, who were, were still living in Western Massachusetts, and uh, we'd get together and play poker, and you know that was right. our thing. We liked to play cards, right? And uh, you, so we remained friendly, and then this sort of rekindled our own curiosity and, and interest in all these songs. So, wow, how come this wasn't on the record? How come this one wasn't on the record? And then, you know, yeah. we realized, well, we, we didn't actually pick the songs that were going to go on the record. <laughs> the record label chose that. Right. And at the time, we were just quite happy to, you know, we were... We sure, were to do what they tell you to do. Yeah, right. we were in the batter's box. and, and Yeah, there you hey, go. We'll do it. Yeah. But the funny thing is, there were so many songs left over that didn't get on that record and and that's pretty much what the wait on another day cd is now they're re-recorded versions of of those 10 songs
Okay. So it's not new material. It's stuff that was in the basement. It's not. It's not new. It's new recordings. True. Really, guys are playing on it freshly. Yeah. Okay. Oh, absolutely. They're they're all new recordings, and but the songs. I think the first uh, there's three songs on there that were written as early as 1987. We're talking about 30 years ago. 30 years ago. So I would have been 23. Because I wrote a lot of those songs, you know, and yeah. uh, is that right? Twenty three, yeah, I think that's yeah. right. Correct. Okay, yeah. thirty three, maybe. <laughs> no, I don't know. Late twenty 20s, years ago. Oh, 20. twenty years ago. Yeah, I guess that would be thirty three. Anyway, eighty seven. Yeah, eighty seven. Yeah, that's that's right. thirty. Yes, twenty three. I'm sorry. My God. We both. Said but anyway, that. and then the other ones were written. The other ones were written around the time when we were with the label, like that would have been. You know, ninety, ninety-one, ninety-two, ninety-three. Okay. So, okay. none of the songs are uh, brand new songs. Okay. That I'm aware of. I'd have to go back and look at them. <laughs> well, they're I'm great. I'm pretty sure they're all from. Yeah, they're all from that time period. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So I want to go back to the New York section just for a minute because I'm curious. Were you working a day job? And when you got well, signed and got this big mm-hmm. advance and everything, did you get to go into this uh-huh. day job and just be like? After you guys, I'm leaving. I'm going to be a rock star. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was in a little bit of a different situation because I, because I worked for my family. We had a family ah, business. Oh, so you're not going to really tell and, them I get it. And no, no, no. And they were so, so supportive. And they totally, you know, they knew I'd been, and not just me, the other band members had been chasing this for years yeah. and years. You know, 10 years. That's a long time. Sure. Yeah, but we never gave up. <laughs> we just, we, uh-huh. The funny thing is we kept getting a little better, a little better, a little better. You know, not huge leaps, but sort of, okay, another step up, a little, you know, better songs, better live uh-huh. performances, better clubs, you know, that type of thing. So, sure. you know, when the, when the time came that the opportunity was there, the opportunity was available to us. We were in pretty good shape. Music. Okay. You know, we were okay. we were ready for we were ready yeah. for primed. Okay. But I didn't okay. have to give a give a re- I didn't have to give a, a resignation because I worked for my family and got it. And um, we owned we owned a, okay. a family business. So, uh, but but okay. I did in fact leave. <laughs> sure, <laughs> exactly of course you did. Once we signed this, right? Was, we signed in June of '91, and I, if I'm not mistaken, it was only. Eight or ten weeks later, I think by the end of August we were in Los Angeles, uh, wow. doing pre-production. Uh, and Ed Stadium produces this album. How does how do you he guys did. get your hands on Ed Stadium? Well, you know that was a personal connection with with uh, Tommy Allen okay. and John D. Nicola. They were the production team. Okay. That got us, you know, they 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 got us the deal. They got us the record deal with Virgin. The label was talking with them about production, and we want to get a big name producer. Uh, you guys can be involved too, but you know, as a, as associate producers, or and, but I think that you know they wanted to get. And then I don't, I've, I can't remember exactly if it was John or Tommy, but it was one of the two that knew Ed Stacy personally. He lived, okay. he lived uh, in the West Village. He had an apartment in the West Village in New York City, uh-huh. and uh, so they contacted. Ed, and um, I guess I'm assuming they played in the material because I want to see if he that was something he felt like he could he could you know sink his teeth into. Sure. And he agreed that he agreed that it was, and he gave right. the label a, a price. It was a very high price. I believe it. <laughs> but 
at the time. There was money the back then the for that. Yeah, that's how it was in those days. And, and at yeah. the time, we didn't fully realize that everything was advanced. Everything was advanced right. to you. Yeah. Labels like a bank, you know. Uh, whatever, if it costs X amount of dollars for so-and-so, in this case, Ed, to, yeah. you know, produce the record, then y'all aren't going to see any money until that, that money's paid back, you know? Yep. So yep. that's just, that's just the business, and it was nothing out of the ordinary. Right. Uh, but, you know, when we look, we, years later, we look back and went, wow, you know, we could have, yeah. could have made a public, made a little less expensive record. But, <laughs> we didn't. Yeah. And yeah. we made a very, very expensive record because we decided to record it uh, in Los Angeles, which was, oh, wow. and you're talking about flights and living yeah. a place to live yeah. for three months, for yeah. three months. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not like, the irony is we went and knocked out this record in five days. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, except for except for the guitar parts, you know, sure. Matt Collins' lead guitar he did at his home studio in Iowa. Because he's a, he's a full time dad, yeah. and a husband, okay. so he did his stuff at his home studio. But interesting. it's interesting. But 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 at the yeah. time it was it was a great opportunity. We recorded yeah. at A&M Studios. You know that was we yeah where we, we did basic tracks. John was the room where they did We Are the World. Like if you ever saw the no. We Are the World video, yeah, really. Yeah, we were we were in Studio A at A&M. I mean, we were in the biggest, you know. It was grandiose studio. Yeah. Was it necessary? I don't know. In retrospect, am I glad that I got to experience it? Yes. Absolutely. I, I Absolutely. Who else was you bopping know. around the studio at that time? Any, a any lot of heavy cats. Into people? Yeah. Really? Like who? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, U2 was in there mixing. What? or uh, They were mixing. I'm trying to think of the song they had during that time. It was a big hit. It was, I think it was one, the song one. Okay. And, uh-huh. uh, I did not get to meet them, but um, but Tommy Pluta did. Got to meet them in the parking lot of A and M. You know, they had a valet yeah. guy. It was the old <laughs> Charlie Chap. It was the Charlie Chaplin soundstage. Uh huh. It was uh, that became you know Herb Albert and Jerry Moss. You know, yeah, A&M, right. and they, they took that over, and that was the Chaplin soundstage, which was still there, by the way. Yeah. And, and in those days, that that, that facility is, is no longer a recording studio now, but it, it was in '91. And yeah, U2 was there. Patty Smythe was across oh, the sure. hall. Um, let's see, Maria McKee oh, was also recording there. And I think this was—I guess this had to have been after Lone Justice. So I was a fan of Lone Justice. Yeah, great. And album. Jim Keltner. The, Legendary drummer Jim Keltner, who was, uh-huh. you know, an idol for us. And, uh, you know, played with John Lennon and on the Traveling sure. Wilburys. And, and uh, he was he was playing drums for the Maria McKee session. So we actually, Ed Stasium arranged where we could go into the, we went into the control room and we got to watch Jim Keltner cut a drum track. And that was really interesting. Oh, man. Very quietly in the back. Jimmy Iveen was the producer. Yeah, he was very, you know, they didn't allow guests in, but he was a friend of Ed's, and he said, "Don't say anything. Stand in the back, <laughs> yes, sir." Which we did, but that was a that was a good moment. Um, Cheryl yeah. Crow was in there. Also, I remember oh. I hung out with her one afternoon for a little bit in the. Uh, they had a lounge with a bunch of fish tanks. They had they called it the fish lounge. Okay. And yeah. this was before Tuesday music, Tuesday night. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, I can't remember the title of that record exactly. Yeah, that's right. That's right. This is before that, and uh, before she recorded that. Yeah. And uh, she was a little nice, and uh, there was other there was there was other folks in there too. The guys from Journey, uh, they had that offshoot band with John Waite. Um, Bad English. Neil Sean and John Waite. Yeah. Bad English. They were in there. Great band. Sure. Okay. And now I gotta ask. I gotta ask you, Robert. You're a good-looking guy. Cheryl Crow is hot. Did you get her number? I did not. Oh, well, I, I did know not. This was I did code. Not. You know the fish, wherever the wherever you guys were <laughs> no. hanging out. I thought I wondered if I was this was the code for like. No. Yeah, we uh, was you a, know we flirted a little bit. No, okay. no, no. I was a perfect gentleman, and, and uh, I'm pretty sure she wasn't the slightest bit interested. She was talking to her. Uh, she was. I remember she was talking to her uh, mom uh, for a while on the phone when I just went. I was okay. just wanted to get out of the studio and I uh, didn't really I didn't know who it was actually I had no idea who it was well she wasn't anything she, back then she was Michael that, that's correct Jackson's I found out later singer. yeah that's absolutely correct and I, I didn't know who it was but she was talking I, I do remember she was talking on the phone to her mom and saying oh Don was a pain in the ass last night and I figured out <laughs> it was kind of nah, I, was, I, I guess I was eavesdropping I would just happen to be in the same room so it was hard uh-huh. not to hear uh-huh she was talking about Don Henley. Were they dating? <laughs> she was or dating something? Don Henley. I think so. Oh, or at least man. They to, if they weren't, then they went out. Then I probably was. That's good and juicy. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I don't uh, know why I remember that, but that actually did happen. Okay. A lot of well, so, a lot of other stuff happened too. Oh, I, I believe can't. it. Well, so let's. I mean, <laughs> you know, I you tell me what you're comfortable talking about. But here's this band sure. who's been. You know, you've been trying to become, you've been trying to break through for years. You're finally breaking through, and you're in L.A., and they're throwing buckets of money at you and buckets of money toward producing your debut album. Ed Stacey, you just told me earlier what a fan of the Ramones you were, and now the guy who's producing them is producing you. That's correct. You must be, and, I mean, we've established you're clean now, but that may not have been the case then. Was this a three-month just balls out party what is going through pretty much okay well i mean you know the to give you an idea of how the of the how the tone was set uh for those sessions uh the thing is in those days we were young and we could we could party and still be very productive i wouldn't be able to do that now but in those days we were able to do that and the night before we arrived at the studio they had a 40th birthday party for Sting. Oh, Sting had played Sting had played the Hollywood Bowl the night before, uh, the night uh-huh. before, and they had a birthday party for him at the Charlie Chaplin soundstage, which was part of a, the A and M studio lot. And so when we, you know, met the staff of A and M, and of course we're renting the biggest studio. It was ridiculous, you know. So we got to know the staff a little bit. They said, hey, Sting was here last night. They left left a couple of kegs of, uh, he's from Newcastle, England. He likes Newcastle beer. Do you guys like Newcastle beer? We're like, sure. Sure. (laughs) Well, we we have those over there. They're still, you know, untapped. I mean, should we we bring them up? And we also had a lounge in our studio. Should we bring them up to the lounge? Absolutely. So, you know, we started the session by, Cracking a keg of Newcastle brown ale. I mean, that's that's that Things was the big idea. God. You know, so you know if it's yeah. two. Or, well, yeah, there, there was things leftovers. You know, yeah. two or three in the afternoon. In those days, the question 
at least I can speak for myself, wasn't, you know, um, the question was, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? Of course. Of course. And so we did. We did indulge. We partied a lot, but we got a lot of work done. And and, and in fairness, we we also, we worked hard. We were hard workers. Of course you did. Of course. But that was part of the job. That was part of our, our work also was, you know, kind of partying and recording, Absolutely. partying some more and recording some more. It's uh, a lifestyle. That, that's, I guess that's all. probably a better, that's probably the best way to put it. It was indeed yeah. a lifestyle at that yeah. in those days. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So now the first album comes out, and frankly, I discovered you guys much later. I don't remember it coming out. I don't remember hearing anything on the radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it was back in Massachusetts or on the coast. I grew up in Salt Lake City, which is nobody's first priority to, you know, break a new indie band. But what we went, we came out to Utah. We came out. You to did. Utah, I, I think. think I had moved actually by '92. I didn't live okay. there anymore. Okay. But, okay. Um, but we're, I mean, what is you know your this album that you're so proud of and all this money went toward and did the label do right by you? Did they promote it like they should have? Are you getting heard on the radio? Are you playing? Right. Uh, David Letterman. I mean, is is that is that stuff happening? The hype machine right. that we're used to is it happening for you? Well, the radio part did happen in, Good. in, in, in a nice way, and it was the it was the song "Think About Soul" that was the single, and that was released to radio. And in, in those days, it was called Modern Rock Radio. Right. It was mm-hmm. Modern Rock Radio stations, and that was kind of like. Yeah, you know, not the not the not always the mainstream ones. Not college stations per se. I guess bigger than co- more watts than more wattage than a college station. Sure, but not sure. but not the but not the top forty of modern radio. I, I, I remember that I still somewhere in my apartment have have you know playlists from those days. But anyway, think right. about Soul did get national airplay. It okay. wasn't in the top ten on modern rock, but it was in the top forty. There were certain markets, there were some places. Uh, I remember we were going to perform uh, in Chicago. We were on tour. You know, the label set that up, and there was tour support. And, again, just money advanced to the band, you know. But you need, you need, we needed that at that time. And uh, we played a good venue in Chicago. I'm trying to think of the Metro. The place was called the Metro. I think it's still there. Okay. It's a really good venue. And... Um, we played with that band, The Men. I don't know if you remember The Men. I don't remember The Men. the name of the band. Well, it was girls in the band. It wasn't men. It was two, oh. it was two, <laughs> two guys and two girls. But anyway, Got it. it was a okay. great venue. And as we pulled into Chicago, and it was my first time, I think, for the other guys, too, our first time in Chicago, Think About Souls on the radio. So that was a real rush. There you that go. Was a, that was a buzz, you know. Good. And that there was a go. well-attended, very well-attended, very good venue um, there were other places like that. Portland, Oregon was like that. Cool. Okay. Uh, uh, Reno, Nevada. I remember Reno, Nevada being like that. You could tell what towns the song was being played on the radio. That's just in, that was the magic of, of radio back then, and uh-huh. and, uh, and I guess still is. But it, but but for us, that's that that song did well. And this would have been like uh, I would imagine when the record was released in. It came out in June. I won't say it was came out in June of '92. I, I think that's right. about right. And so this would have been August, September, around that time period when we were when we were touring. 
And then what wound up happening, and that was a game changer, is that Virgin Records was sold. And uh, EMI uh, bought out Virgin. That's what happened. That's the short version. Uh, they, they bought Virgin. They sw- switched distributors, and there was only, I think, two, WIA and SEMA, I think. I can't remember. I can't believe I remember that, but WIA and SEMA, and those were the two major distributors in in America, and uh, they switched distributors. And so as we picked up another tour, and I think that was with uh, Spin Doctors or or Dada. You remember the band Dada? Sure. Uh uh, I'm going to Disneyland. Disneyland, yeah. Yeah, they're absolutely fantastic. We, We did a really fun tour with them. This is going back a few years. This is this was an MTV Rock the Vote tour. Oh, we did an sure, MTV yeah. Rock the Vote tour, yeah. and this would have been, I guess, uh, George Bush Senior. And uh, and Clinton. Yeah, he was going against yeah. Clinton. Yeah, so it yeah. actually, yeah, it, was, it all the timeline works. It was '92. Okay. We did it. We did a we did a Rock the Vote tour with with Dada, and you know, so think about so was being played. The problem sure. came when. The label was sold, and then we would pull into a town. I remember, I think it was Lawrence, Kansas, or some town like that. Couldn't find the record in the And then we'd get to the next town. Oh, uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. Where's the record? Where's the CD? Oh, yeah, they switched distributors, and don't worry, and it's kind of everything. Wow. And so we were not unique. It was not a unique situation, you know. And, uh, of course, we learned that. I learned that as the years went by, that it was, to be honest with you, it was a way for me to make peace with it is to realize that, look, you had a lot of fun. You made a really good yeah, record. But good the point. main way to make peace with it, John, was realizing that that, happened all, that happens all the time in the music yeah. business. There's corporate mergers. Oh my the, whole God. Roster, the whole roster and the whole roster yeah. did, get, did get cut, you know. Yeah. And so we managed to hang on longer than most. Yeah. We made it into... We made it into the following year, and we were recording uh, demos and still doing a, a lot of gigs. And uh, it was interesting because we actually never were officially dropped from the label okay. like most okay. of the other acts were because we were signed by the president of Virgin, who encouraged us at that time, encouraged us to sit tight, let the dust settle. It's going to take a while. It might take a year. Yeah. We can re-release some songs from this record, record some new songs, but you'll be under contract. Yeah. And we didn't do that. We decided, no, we don't want to do that. We were young. And we were like, we'll get another label. And of course, you know, once you're, yeah. once you're, uh, that's difficult to do. It's like getting sure. struck by lightning twice. So sure. that didn't happen. But, but technically, we were never actually dropped. We left. Interesting. We left. Well, we asked for some money. We said, well, look, yeah. you know, give us 10 or 20 grand so we can live on and just write and record. We're all in. Yeah. Like, well, look, we already spent. And, and, of course, I see that now with the with the, with the luxury of time. They had spent a, a, a fortune on us. Sure. Buying us, sure. getting us to California and living in Los Angeles for three months, recording at the most expensive, one of the most expensive studios on the planet. In Studio A, in the biggest room at A&M yeah. Studios. So, you know, they weren't about to pony up another another twenty k, so right. we could each take five and right. you know, live meagerly 
And, but but <laughs> I don't regret our decision. You know, I don't regret sure. our decision. That's the way it sure. went. You know, we decided no, we yeah. don't want to do that. And so yeah. okay, we we who knows if 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 we had stuck around uh, and, and wrote it out, wrote out the merger. Who knows what would have happened? I don't know. But right. I don't like like at night worrying yeah. about that. Okay, know. okay. Do you have an idea of how many copies of your first album were sold? I don't. Okay. And I've tried to find out. Uh, I've I've looked and tried to find it online. There used to be a thing, SoundScan. Yeah. Um, right. I'm I'm guessing it's around ten thousand. It's not okay. that many. Okay. It's 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 not that many. Maybe right. ten thousand units. Okay. Okay. Um, I remember seeing a sound scan in the summer that I think about Soul was being put, and I think it was at six thousand six hundred. That was the only time I have. Thought, to be honest, I wasn't paying attention to the business. Well, sure. We were no, paying attention you're, to. You're still young. You're not doing it. We were, we were paying attention to, to to playing the shows, you know, and yeah. and, and, and having fun. But um, if I had to guess, I would say probably ten thousand units. That's, that's okay. That's not a success uh, for for a for a big label no. release. That that much money was spent no. by independent glory days. By today's right. yeah, by today's independent standards, that would be great. Sure. Yeah, and those are the glory days of record buying. I mean, that was just uh, before the bubble bursts and people are spending lots exactly of money right. buying all the CDs. You know. So That's exactly okay. right. So the second album comes out different. And I saw the video to Situations, which is a pretty cool, That's quite right. a little video. One shot, or it looks like it is. Steady cam. Yeah, that, steady was, cam. that was a steady cam. Yeah. Tell me that you can't deny all the that you know strike twice uh is rare when you put out the right. second album different i don't know if that's the lead single or not i assume it is but are you kind of still feeling like you're in the game like hey we're still you know it's okay success is right around the corner we're we're on the we're the beginning uh, of this thing are you like ah, I, it's I, kind I, of desperate. I, I think we all kind of, i think we all kind of knew that that the time that that the golden opportunity uh golden meaning that there was financial backing yeah uh, which is important we I, we knew that that was probably not going to come back but we were also we were a good band and we we enjoyed playing together we got a, you know, we were like any band there might have been some personality differences here and there but sure. we loved each other you know we did love yeah. each other and uh, we're we're still today 
friends. So that good, tells you good. we were very reluctant, I think, to to sort of let it go, you know. But we did. But we we, we did that. We you know after that yeah. record was released, you know, I, I think we kind of felt like we took it as far as we as we could. Right. I mean, right. it, it had been, gosh, I don't know, fifteen years. I guess it's a long run. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to an end, then do you go back to the family business, or what's the next well, chapter? I, me personally, I okay. moved to. Um, I wound up moving to New York City, which we had been going to for for some time anyway. And I, I really like the city. I like the energy, and, and uh, I like the the anonymity of of New York, where you could kind of yeah. fall flat on your face and nobody cared. You know. <laughs> You didn't, you know, if you failed, it didn't matter because nobody yeah. was impressed. by it. anyway, whatever you know, you had to really, of to get noticed there. Had to really, uh, really work hard. And so what I did is I, I just stepped out of the, the lead singer role, and I, I, I met a, I met a gal who I'm working with to this okay. day, Patricia Vaughn, yep. here in Austin. She's got a great website you can check out. She's, we tour Europe all the time still. You know, I've toured Europe 29 times. I'm still on the road like six months a year, you know. Really? I just got back from the 37-day tour of Europe. No way. um, Yeah, yeah, really. But it's it's, I'm not the lead singer. I'm the lead guitar player. But I get to write a lot because her and I co-write a lot of the songs. That's really nice. And uh, and I finally uh, twenty last year I released my uh, first solo CD. Yeah, Patient years. Man. I've been trying yeah, to. I, it's not on Spotify. I was trying to listen to CD, it on Spotify. CD Baby has it, okay. and you can you can listen to the songs on my website. I found some on YouTube. Okay. Yeah. I found right. a lot of clips on right. YouTube, and there's really if good stuff like on there. If you like this size record, I think you'd really like that record a lot. Oh, cool. Okay, it's good. A, it's not a rock and roll record. It's more of a, no, it's more a mellow. singer-songwriter. Got it. Okay. A little more mellow. A little more okay. mellow. So anyway, that's it, what I did. I went to New York. That's crazy. So how quickly was there – I guess what I'm getting at, was, it, is, was there a ta- – was there a dip – when you could no longer make a living as a professional musician, or have you managed oh, to do that absolutely. this whole time? No, oh, was, really? There was a dip. Oh. 
Yeah, okay. sure. There was a difference. Well, especially uh, being in New York because it's just so. I mean, imagine. I imagine I mean, it's more expensive now, I guess. But uh, yeah, I moved. I moved there in '94. You know, so the the sides were still together. We weren't. We were playing far less because I was uh, living in the city, but we were still doing gigs. And um, yeah, absolutely. I did all manner of crazy jobs in New York. I did. I modeled at the School of Visual Arts. And you did? Art, like, were you a I nude model for the people drawing? I was. Human form? That's, yes. that's exactly what I was. Ah, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. That is great. Not too many people know that. I guess if that makes the podcast, it secrets <laughs> out. But I did do that because I was absolutely needed the money. And, sure. Uh, so I did... Uh, I prefer to call it art modeling, but yes, nude modeling is what it was. It's not pornography. Yeah. wasn't pornography. No. It was, uh, uh, I was alone, but it, it was in a room full of uh, students drawing. Yeah, so I did sure. that for a while. And okay. Yeah, I did all kind of stuff. I, I hustled. I hustled. Uh, it sounds like it. Sounds like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, was this, you know, something, I never know whether person I'm talking to will take offense to this. I really hope they don't. But I in You'd some have ways, to really Okay. Yeah, I don't take offense too easily. Good. Well because in some way in actually in a lot of ways, I think of musicians kind of as athletes where they grow up yeah. um so laser focused on the one on this one thing that they are really good at and they're you know in some ways and this may apply to you, may not, but say they're the best basketball player in their town and they win the right. high school championship and the state championship, and then they go to college, yeah. and they're the best. And then they go to the pros, and they don't do very well when they're comparing when they're compared to the other best, you know, basketball players in the world or whatever. Right. But because they've been so focused on this one thing their whole life, they don't have a ton of other marketable skills. You know what I mean? They couldn't just yeah. – not all of them can just then go get, you know, a corporate job and excel in the corporate world. Some can. Did you? Would you have said that you would find yourself in a kind of a similar situation? Was it like I'm really best at music and I kind of struggle at everything else, or did you have other talents or abilities that were maybe not as satisfying as music, but that you could you could pay your bills with? Not really. That was that that was the, the one gift that, that, that you know yeah. I was born with the ability to, to write and, and to yeah. and to play and to perform. You know, performance art still where it's at. I mean, that performance art is still the one thing that we can still control, you know, how your live show is. And uh yeah. but I had all but I had all manner of all manner of day jobs in New York City. Okay. And okay. Uh, and uh, it wasn't until I came down here to Austin that the uh Austin has become very expensive now. Um mm-hmm. it's the fastest fastest growing city in America. But I've been here for yeah, quite some years. 18 years or 17 or 18 okay. years and when I got here in 01 it was still you know affordable yeah. and it still is but by, by, by East Coast standards and yeah. uh, the sun the sun is out 300 days a year so it's and it's a music town sure and so I was able to play enough where I could squeak by good you know do okay. absolutely no, no savings of any kind but I mean yeah that you know but there I, always that managed was to be a gig that you yeah, could pay your bills that's, with. That's, okay. that's right. And that was playing with mainly playing with Patricia Vaughn, who I'm still still to this day 
I was in the yeah. studio today recording her new CD. I was in the recording studio all day. Yeah. She's got so she, studio CDs. That's amazing. And yet Americans probably don't know that much about her. It sounds like she's probably. got a really big she's career a- in Europe. She's a regional. Uh, she's a regional star down here uh, in okay. Austin, in San Antonio, in Houston, in Lubbock. We're going to Lubbock next week. Uh, you know, we're playing at the Buddy Holly. There's Buddy Buddy Holly comes up again. So we're yeah, playing at yeah. the museum called the Buddy Holly okay. Center. Okay. And uh, but Europe is really where it's happening for her. Okay. And um, they've just really really caught fire over there. And this is our 29th tour now is this your primary job is being playing with her is this is this is this what pays the bills at this point or are you still kind of yeah. having to hustle when you're not working with patricia i i usually wait until the tour money is almost out and then i hustle. Uh-huh. okay you know okay. i i have i have my uh i have a, my chauffeur's license oh so um a, a friend of mine owns a car service so when when the lean times come and they always come because you know sure. the tour money eventually runs out then um, I put on a shirt and tie and I like getting dressed up anyway and and uh, I drive Cadillacs and pick okay. up high rollers at the air, pick up people at the airport and bring them to the Four Seasons and stuff like that. It's, it's that's crazy. Not 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 so stressful. And, no. Uh, you know what? And I'm know. blanking on who it is, but I. I've talked to at least one other person for the podcast who does that exact same thing. So car it's not uncommon. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But wow. it's part time. It's it's about it's about twenty twenty five hours a week. So I still have loads of time to uh, yeah. be an artist. Be an artist, which is code speak for being poor, but you still get to work on writing songs oh, and right. and performing. You know. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's a good life. You know, I don't have any. Good. I have no dependents. You know, I don't have any children. Okay. Are you um, married? So I'm divorced. Divorced. Okay. So, uh, so I, I I don't have any dependents. I just have to be, make sure that my my bills are paid. Yeah. And I'll be and I'm okay. So. Okay. Okay. Fascinating. Wow. This is great. Um. So okay. Well, so I usually close these things out with two of the same questions. Which is number one, I want to know what kind of regrets you may have. If there's one thing that like, oh, I wish I had done this one thing and everything may have turned out differently. And then I want to know what right. the tastiest memory you have. You know, <laughs> like I can't believe this thing happened to me. When you're driving the the high rollers in the limo 
And right. man, these guys have no idea that I did X. What is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, um, you know, recording at, at Studio A okay. in A&M Studios in Hollywood. And uh, that whole experience was surreal. And uh, Ed Stasium was an amazing producer. He did a he did a fantastic job. That record still, uh, if you ever can get your hands on that, I don't know if you've ever heard that record. Um, it's called What Goes On. Second one too, um, very. Uh, but but that first one, those th- those songs really uh, hold up pretty well. Yeah. So I guess that would be the the burning bush moment for me was that whole three month period because we were there. Gosh, we were there from I think beginning or middle of August until yeah November. Uh, we stayed right in through the time the record was being mixed and and uh you know in those days it was tape you know it was recorded on analog so Ed Stasium was the master of taking out the razor and you know slicing the tape nice. and, yeah. you know you don't you really don't see that very much anymore i'm sure some folks still do it it's very expensive but uh it makes for a hell of a warm sounding record yeah. that analog recording on tape and with analog and uh so that was that was that was the high point for okay. sure you know there were yeah. some great live shows there were some really great live shows that are that are really good memories and oddly enough the band is still playing very well live good. now because you know we've all we've all calmed way down on the party sure. and and uh and uh so we're we're pretty together uh of course our we're are you know we're advanced in years, but um, also the musicianship in all those years, because we all continued to play. Right. And so when we uh, we did a couple of reunion shows last year, and and we're doing one, we're doing a CD release August 26th in our hometown of Holyoke, Massachusetts. Right. And uh, I think we're going to do a couple of shows around Thanksgiving, also in Holyoke. And now the band is sounding. You know, really, really good. And yeah. That's, that's also that's also gratifying, and it's it's fun. It, the bottom line is, it's still fun, good. and that's what makes that's what makes it worth doing. You know, Absolutely. it isn't about uh, it isn't about adulation. It isn't about walking down memory lane and playing these old songs. It's still fun to play these songs. You know, right. and it's still right. equ- and and equally equally as important. It's still fun to play together the same four guys. You know, all these years good. later. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, you know, when you put out a new album like this, even though it's re-recordings of original demos from back in the day, you know, what kind of expectations do you have? I mean, at this point, you're you're a lifer. You know not to get too overly excited. There's something that's right. suddenly going that's to change. Right. But, yeah. I mean, are you like, you know, what motivates somebody to put out music at this time? Is it like, hey, we've got it. We know we have some fans out there. Let's put it out for them, and maybe we can play some that's gigs right. around it. Okay. Well, that's exactly right, and it's, you know, it's it's – Primarily, it's, it's John D. Nicola, the producer, mm-hmm. who we who we have to thank for this. Because if it wasn't for him, it wouldn't have happened. You know, yeah. he has a really wonderful recording studio, and he's a very good producer and a good engineer. And uh, and we, you know, we we knocked that record out in five days. I mean, we were only thinking. He's like, hey, why don't you come up and re-record some of these songs? And I was thinking, well, I'm going to be in Massachusetts visiting my parents on Cape Cod in the summers. They're they're 88 years old now and still going strong, and they're on Cape Cod. And so I said, yeah, that's that's not a stretch to go to upstate New York. It's four or five hours. I live in Texas. You drive eight hours to, for one show. Yeah. And so it was no problem. And but we went thinking we'd record a couple of two, three, maybe be lucky and get four. And we wound up doing 10, 10 songs, and then we sent the tracks to Matt Cullen, the guitar player. And he did his thing in his home studio. So, you know, as far as as far as far expectations, I don't have any expectations. Okay. I, I, have, I, I have high hopes. I'd like yeah. to see it get reviewed. I'd like to see it get reviewed positively. Yeah. And so far, so far, all the things I've seen have been very positive. Good. And I also, I also, I also think the timing is, is good now because I, I I listen to, you know, especially when I'm doing the show for show for a gig, I listen uh-huh. to a lot of radio. And we're lucky here in Austin. We have um, KUT, which is the University of Texas station. We have uh, Sun Radio, which is an alternative um, radio station. We have Co-op Radio. So and and that's I don't listen too much to commercial radio. Maybe when I'm flipping through the channels, but I mainly listen to those three. And I listen to KMFA, which is a classical music. Whenever I have a client in the, in the caddy, it's always classical. Right. Uh, but uh, as soon as I drop them off, sure, <laughs> I, I, I go, I go to, I go to mm-hmm. left of the dial. That's yeah, of course, because it's still, it's still yeah. mainly left of the dial stations. And pop music, you know, and power pop, and you know, yeah. I, I hear the sh- I hear the Shins, I hear Amy Mann's. Yeah. I really like her stuff, and uh, and on and on. I, there's a band called Big Grams that um, it's, it's, a, it's a rapper, but it's also this guy and gal. It isn't just strictly hip hop; it's, it's pop. And uh, there's a band from Brooklyn called Cults, not the Cult, the Enes. Yeah, band, but just I, I have some Cults. Yep. And uh, I really like some of their stuff. Um, yeah, so cool. I, I think there. I think I think it's. I think there's possibilities. If we can get it into the hands of some of some radio programmers, yeah, and that's really about that's really about all that I would hope for. And, and if it if it if it caught fire at a particular station, let's say in you know wherever Baltimore or Boulder, Colorado, then yeah. it's not out of the realm of possibility that we would go out there and do a show. Yeah, true. So that would be the best case scenario, I guess. Well, I hope you do. I'm in Denver, so if it catches on in Boulder, I'll just pop up the road and. See the show. That Denver's, was great. Den, Denver's a, another town that's exploding. That's a good yeah. city. Oh, yeah, I, I have, good. I have, uh, I have my nephew, my the son of my sister, lives in Denver, and mm. uh, 
Uh, who's that band? There's a band from Denver. Uh, the, oh gosh, the Fray is a really big. Yeah, the Fray. Big who's Head the Todd. Who's, who's the uh, band before that that had all those? Uh, hey, oh, sing along. Oh, the Lumineers. Songs. Lumineers. The Lumineers. And he yeah. used to see the Lumineers. He used to see the Lumineers in little bars uh-huh. when he was in college. And uh, there's a good scene in Denver. It's a good city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we love it here. You know, I was listening to, uh, when I listened back to your stuff, I was just thinking, it, the 90s, too, were such a uh, a high time for movie soundtracks. It's too bad that one of your songs couldn't have made it on, like, Empire Records or Clueless. Ooh, that would have been nice. Or one of, you know what yeah. I mean? It, it feels yeah. like tailor-made yeah. for that kind of stuff. It, it should be That's playing right. over That's the right. closing credits of Suburbia or one of those kind of indie movies That's back right. in the day. Okay. I can see that too, but you know, again, the the thing that really changed the whole game was the label being sold. Yeah. Only it seemed like only a, a month or two months after the record was really just right, literally out of the box, the label was Sucks. sold, and everything yeah. got pulled. The plug up, the plug got pulled on on not only the, not only the size, but all the other bands that were on yeah. that uh, label as well, you know. Right. And it's a very common story in the oh, yeah. industry. I've heard it on here a bunch. Yeah, yeah, as I said, it's not a the story of the size is is not a unique story, uh, but it's but it's our story. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate you talking to me, Robert. It's a lot. It was a lot of fun. You tell great stories, and I wish you the best of luck. Because uh, you deserve it, and I really Thanks like so it. And I, you know, if I can turn some people on to uh, to the new album, I, I'm happy to do it because it's really great. Well, I appreciate it, John. There you have it, Robert LaRoche. I love that guy. I love guests like him. I love the ones who get it. I love the people who are self-aware enough to know how to tell their story. They're good, and they know they're good, and they know they got shafted, and so they know how to tell the story in a way that's entertaining to the rest of us. And I really, really appreciate that about people like Robert. So thank you, Robert, and thank you, Steve, for the recommendation. I will not be coming back to you for a while, no offense. You're going on the shelf. I got lots of other people I got to get to. Also, I want to close it out with a couple of songs. I've been doing two songs lately, a lot. I just want you to hear all this great music. First up, this is a track called Jane. It's off that debut album that Ed Stasium produced. So good. I just wanted to throw in as many examples of that as I could because it's such a great album. After this, you're going to hear probably my favorite size song. It's called Lift Me Up, and it's on the new album, Wait on Another Day. And guys, honestly, if you like anything you've heard here, please support these people. That's what this is all for. We, we're trying to uncover people who deserved our attention or more of it in the first place. If you like it now, put your money where your mouth is and support these people. Speaking of which, if you listen to the very beginning to a, the brief chat with Mike Wagner, there is a lot of craziness going on in the world right now. Let's support the people of Houston, of Florida, of wherever. Where I mean, wherever things are going on. And this is a really easy way. Uh, Mike came up with a very easy plan. Let's find these Houston artists. The link will be in the show notes. You can go to the Facebook page and see it there as well. And let's just let's just play some music. And that helps in, in little incremental ways. It helps. So let's try and do that as well. Next week, I'll give you a teaser. Uh, it's one of my favorite artists of all time next week. But I don't think that I've ever mentioned this person before. So I don't know that you would have known that ahead of time. 
I, I will tell you that this will be the first time that Mark Marin and I will have cross streams. We'll leave it at that. If you think you know who it is, let me know. I love hearing the guesses people have after the teasers of who the next week is going to be. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man. Thank you, Yanish the Manish. You're the best. I love you, buddy. Also, uh, if you guys want the business, if you want to find us on Facebook and like our page, please do. You can stay in communication with us that way. You can uh, send me a message on there. You can send me an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. Please subscribe if you have not done so already. And please write us a quick, quick review. I would love that. There's also this new thing on our Facebook page where you can write a review on there too. I don't know what it means or what it what algorithm it feeds, but it's nice to hear. Good or bad, leave us a little note. I would appreciate it. Okay? Enjoy Jane. Enjoy Lift Me Up. And we will talk to you all next week. Thanks, everybody. Take me now, let this call
take me.